Thank you, John and Kirk. Please stand up as we prepare to read from God's Word this morning. If you would, open your Bibles as we've been continuing in this series of Samson. We're reading from the book of Judges, chapter 16 and verses 23 through 31. Again, Judges 16, verses 23 through 31. Pastor Bruce again continues his sermon series on Samson, this morning focusing in on Samson's last stand and what could be easily referred to as the Temple of Doom this morning, right from the Word of God. So follow along as I read again from Judges 16, verses 23 through 31. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple, so that I may lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called the Lord, saying, O Lord God, Remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once. O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, And the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Esteol in the tomb of his father Manoah. He had judged Israel 20 years. Bow your heads and pray with me, please, this morning. Father God, thank you for all that you give us. Thank you for your provisions. And thank you, Lord, that you have brought us in this house this morning to worship you, to hear from you, to learn more about you. Father, I'm thankful for this story of how this is not just a a fable. This is true word that you have given us, this important message, Lord, about Samson's life and how we can learn from Samson and how we can grow from his experience, Father how we can stay focused on you and not make the mistakes that Samson did, Lord. I pray this morning you would be with Pastor Bruce as he preaches and teaches us this morning. May your hearts be open to hear from you in a special way. We thank you for allowing us to be in your house this morning. We praise you for it all in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Randy. Appreciate that. And as he said, we are concluding our series on the life of Samson. And uh, perhaps you've been with us for the last four weeks. Maybe this is your first time to be a part of this series, the concluding series, and that's all right. Uh, because what we've been looking at, obviously, is, one, is the life of perhaps one of the best-known heroes in all the Bible, 
really we should say one of the best known flawed heroes in all the Bible. And that's why we kind of can call him a man of great strength, which is what Samson's known for, his legendary feats. But he's also a man of weakness, which we have seen for the last four Sundays. But this morning we want to conclude in this final series on his life here in chapter 16 of Judges. Sometime back, a few years ago, the British Navy was involved in some peacetime maneuvering at sea involving a column of their cruisers. They were steaming along in formation when a signal was given to execute a 90-degree turn. The maneuver went off flawlessly except for one cruiser whose captain missed the signal. The ship almost collided with the one in front, and when it swerved to avoid a collision, the whole convoy was thrown into confusion. Only some very skilled seamanship by the other captains prevented a serious, serious accident. When some order had finally been regained, the admiral on the flagship sent a message to the captain who had caused all this trouble. Captain, what are your intentions? Immediately the reply came back, sir, I plan to buy a farm. You say, what in the world has that got to do with the sea? Well, this captain, he knew without being told that one missed signal had terminated his naval career. Failure meant dry dock for him. Well, failure is one of those realities of life, isn't it? How many of you know a failure in your life? Yeah, you don't got to raise your hand. We all do. Failure is a part of everyone's life, especially the Christian life. There are no Christians who do not experience failure at some point in time. In fact, often, many times in our walk with the Lord, Christians fail. There's no doubt about that. But what happens when we do? Does God sentence us to a kind of spiritual dry dock? where we then just really spend the rest of our lives rusting away? Well, I think the best answer to that question is found in God's Word. In fact, you can go all the way to the New Testament, which we've mentioned several times in this series. You can go to Hebrews chapter 11, which lists numerous people in this chapter who knew what it was like to fail. In fact, Hebrews 11 is often called God's Hall of Faith, but it could also be called God's Hall of Reclaimed or Restored Failures. Almost every individual listed in that chapter has a serious blemish in their life, which by human standards could have, well, landed them in dry dock or on dry dock. But thankfully, God's in the business of restoring failures, which means failures can actually become God's heroes of faith. You say, well, how in the world is that possible? Well, it's possible because the spiritual successful Christian, notice this in your notes, is not the person who never fails because that's impossible. The spiritually successful Christian is not the person who never fails, but the believer who learns how to accept God's remedy for failure, which is none other than the grace of forgiveness. Now, one of the examples of God's restoring grace is our hero we've been looking at for the last four weeks. That is Samson. In fact, when you look at his life, it's hard to disagree with the fact that few have fallen so far. But let me remind you, Samson 
did not fall beyond the grace of God. Now, that's a wonderful truth to set your mind upon. In the life of, if the life of Samson stopped at Judges 16, verse 21, let me tell you, it would be a tragedy of epic proportions. Israel, if you remember from last Sunday, is still in bondage to the Philistines. They're, they're dominating them. And Samson is now a pathetic slave. His eyes have been gouged out. His head is shaven. And he's now grinding in a Philistine prison. There's a well-known saying in the sports world, it's not over till it's over. It's not over till it's over. And let me tell you, this was certainly true in the life of Samson. It may look like Samson is down for the final count. But what we're going to see this morning is God's not finished. And he wasn't finished with Samson either. God still had something left for Samson to do. God still wanted to accomplish something great in his life and through his life. And so what we're going to see is really God's restoration of Samson at the end of his life. But notice, it all starts with, number one, God's discipline of Samson. God's discipline of Samson. Now remember, again, the critical issue in life is not whether we fell. Because we're all going to fail at times in life. The critical issue is how we fail. There is such a thing as failing forward. And what I mean by that is learning from what we have done wrong and, and seeking God's forgiveness. You see, the people who live, un, who live life unaware of their failures are in the saddest position of all. Because you cannot learn from what you will not admit. And Samson lived his life like that all the way up to this point. He had failed over and over and over again, but he had never learned from his failures. Now here's a question. Do you ever think Samson ever thought of himself as a failure? I don't think he did. Samson, though, was a desperate failure. Just consider for a moment, he had broken the law of God. He had toyed with his vow to God and he had wasted his enormous potential that God had given to him. Judged by what he could have been and what God wanted him to do as a deliverer of Israel, Samson was a desperate failure at this point in his life, but failure doesn't have to be final. At the end of Judges 16.20, we finally see Samson reaping what he sowed during the course of his life. Now, it's difficult to exaggerate Samson's foolishness with Delilah. And yet that's what sin does to all of us. Remember what we learned last Sunday? When Samson dilly-dallied around with Delilah? When you toy with temptation, what will sin do? Oh, it will take you further than you wanted to go. Sin will keep you further than you keep you longer than you want to, to stay, and it will cost you more than you wanted to pay. And so when Samson woke up in the lap of Delilah, oh, he was paying a high price. His hair was now gone. His strength was vanished, and his fellowship with God was broken. But the saddest statement of all about Samson is that he had no idea that he had lost his spiritual power until it was way too late. You could say Samson's sins have now boomeranged in his life. 
He was now reaping the consequences in Judges 16, verse 21. He had done right in what, in according to what was right in his own eyes. He had followed the lust of his eyes. And now the Philistines, they gouged them out. He had refused to discipline his own life and he toyed with temptation. And now he became a slave to his enemies. He had visited a prostitute in Gaza and he escaped without harm, or so we thought, because now he was a prisoner in Gaza. You say, well, what's going on in Samson's life here? What's God trying to accomplish? Well, Samson was learning the realities of God's discipline in his life there in prison. God's discipline of Samson continues when the Philistines leaders hold a, a religious celebration. You could say a religious party in honor of Dagon. Dagon was a god of the Philistines. And let me tell you, Samson was going to be the main entertainment for their party. Notice the victory chant of the people in verse 24, Judges 16. They come out, the people do, and they chant, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy. Speaking of Samson there, the destroyer of our land and the one who multiplied our dead. Now unwittingly, the Philistines had crossed the line. At this point, when they gave glory to a false god named Dagon instead of the living God for the capture of Samson. They thought Dagon had delivered Samson into their hands. And now they were giving him glory. They were praising him and they were making sacrifices to this false god in their temple. Now the temple in Gaza here was apparently a pretty sizable building. In fact, it was large. It was a, a large room uh, that overlooked by a terrace or balcony. And it was a large enough room to hold at least 3,000 people. The temple was supported by pillars set on stone basis so that the dignitaries or these lords of the Philistines apparently maybe sat on the ground floor while all the general public was up on the terrace or the balcony looking over down into the courtyard maybe if you will and it was in this atmosphere of celebration of and of merriment the expectation of the crowd crescendoed into a booming chant we want Samson we want Samson. And so Samson was led onto the floor of the temple where he, quote, performed for the crowd. Now just picture that in your mind for a moment because the image is rather pathetic. Samson is this legendary hero, a man full of potential, full of the strength and power of God Almighty. And he's now blind, he's bound by chains, and he's dependent on a young boy leading him through the temple. You can imagine the glee of the crowd when they saw their number one enemy led in like an animal on a chain. How sweet their revenge must have tasted. They toyed with Samson like he toyed with temptation. They mocked him. They played tricks on him while the mob from above shouted their approval and shouted for more. Samson finally tells the lad he wants to touch the pillars so he can lean on them. But we all know Samson had bigger plans than that. But what we need to realize is that none of this was happening by accident. It's all part of God's grace 
in the life of Samson. Now, at first glance, it may not seem like that. It may not look like that very much. It may not seem like grace. But sometimes God must first strip everything in our lives that keep us from trusting in Him. And that's exactly what God was doing to Samson. It may be a very painful process, but if we will not listen when God whispers in love, let me tell you, God will make us listen Listen when He shouts in discipline. Now, understand the purpose of God's discipline in Samson's life. It's the same purpose that He has in our life when God disciplines you and me as His children. Notice it. God's purpose is not to destroy us. Just as His purpose was not to destroy Samson, rather it is to build us up and to teach us to trust in Him. And what God did in Samson's life, He may have to do in our lives if we persist in doing what is right in our own eyes, if we persist in following the lust of the eyes and the flesh, if we persist in toying with temptation, then we may feel the pain of God's discipline and correction in our lives, just as Samson did. But understand, God's discipline is never isolated from His restoration. We see this truth displayed in Samson's life, which brings us to, number two, God's restoration of Samson. God's restoration. Last week, we ended with the healing grace of God in Samson's life. Because of his sin, Samson had hit rock bottom in prison. And yet there was still hope for him for better days to come. Even as a total failure in prison, God, we saw last Sunday, had not abandoned him. God was present, working to restore Samson. Notice again the healing grace of God in verse 22. We ended last week with this verse, but look at it again. It says, However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Now, unfortunately, this verse does not mean there's hope for those of us who are how shall I say it, getting bald. My boys have begun to notice that in me and have pointed that out. I don't know why they have to point that out, but they seem they want to. Some of you out there can identify with this, and sorry to say there's no hope for us. Actually, this verse is not so much concerned with which what was happening naturally on Samson's head as it is with what was occurring spiritually in Samson's heart. Remember, his growing hair was simply a, a visible symbol or a visible indicator that his relationship with God was restored and it was growing again. It also meant that the potential of his power was being renewed again as well. Now, verse 22, it's a small verse. It's a verse that's filled with hope, a verse filled with grace. But let me tell you, it may be small, but it has enormous implications for you and I this morning. Let me point out three implications from this verse. Number one, no matter how far, far we fall in our spiritual experience, we will never fall beyond the possibility of God's forgiveness. No matter how far we fall in our sins, we will never fall beyond the possibility of God's forgiveness. Listen, in his absolute weakness, Samson began to seek the Lord's forgiveness. And the Lord forgave him, the Lord accepted him, and the Lord began to restore him. The same thing happened to David. You remember the story of David? 
What notorious sin did he commit? Oh, he only committed adultery with Bathsheba. Then what did he do to her husband? Well, he had him killed, Uriah. It was a horrible act of sin. But when David called upon God for forgiveness, let me tell you, he immediately knew the happiness and the joy of God's forgiveness, we're told in Psalm 32. We can go to the New Testament, and the same thing happened to Peter. He denied Jesus how many times? Three different times. And this came right after he boastfully said that he would never fail the Lord, and yet that's exactly what he did. But Jesus not only forgave Peter, He restored him and established him as an apostle and as the future leader of the church at Jerusalem. Aren't you thankful that we have a God who is in the business of restoring failures who trust in Him? Listen, forgiveness is not just a nice word. Forgiveness is a reality for anyone who claims the promise of 1 John 1.9. That familiar verse, remember what it says? If we confess our sins, what is God faithful and just to do, to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So remember, no matter how far you fell, no matter how far I fell, we never fall beyond the possibility of God's forgiveness in our lives. But forgiveness needs to be understood because many of us have a misconceptions about forgiveness. And I, we can't go into all of them, but let me identify one. And Samson's experience here shows us a second thing. Number two, while forgiveness is immediate, restoration is gradual. Restoration is gradual. Now think about this with me. It took time for Samson's hair to grow again. It didn't just come back all at once. The very instant I turned to God for forgiveness, I'm forgiven. But the process of restoration takes time. Why? Well, when a significant failure occurs in our life, it is almost never the product of one stupid decision or just one moment in time. Almost always it is the result of sinful habits in our life that are are the accumulation of years of spiritual complacency. And those habits must not only be unlearned, but new habits must replace them. And that process takes time. God's purpose is not just to forgive us of our past. Listen, God wants to restore us, and He wants to use us again in the future. And that kind of restoration does not occur overnight. So while forgiveness is immediate, we know that because of what the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, we need to understand, though, that restoration is a gradual process. The third thing that Samson's gradually growing hair shows us, number three, is that the consequences of our sin are not erased. It's not erased. Now, this is a critical point here, and so I don't want you to miss this. Samson grew new hair. The hair on his head began to grow again. But he did not receive new eyes. When we finally repent of our sins, listen, God does not automatically just obliterate the past and erase the consequences of the sins of our past. 
No amount of repenting will undo the birth of an illegitimate child. Just ask King David. His repentance for his adultery and murder did not bring back to life either Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, or his own infant son. In fact, David's guilt or his... In fact, David paid a very high price for his sin. He paid it in his family life for years to come. Yes, David's guilt was gone, but he dealt with the ramifications of his sin until his death. We must come to grips with this truth. Yes, it is a great truth of Scripture that God restores failures, but understand, we are not necessarily restored to our original usefulness to the Lord. Just ask Samson that. He was blind. And God did not give him new eyes. And because he was blind, let me tell you, he would never be able to do what he could have done if he had not sinned back in the past. And yet Samson was completely forgiven. That's a glorious truth. That's a glorious promise. And God still had a great ministry for Samson. In fact, we're going to see that. But before we do, I want you to understand we must not minimize the seriousness of sin. We must not minimize the consequences of our sin. On the other hand, we must not miss the reality of God's forgiveness. God did not give Samson his eyes back, but he did use Samson's blindness to achieve a great victory. The amazing truth is that our God is able. Oh, he's more than able to turn the consequences of our sins into instruments for his glory. Now, if you drop down to verse 28... We gain a little insight through this verse into Samson's heart. This is the second time that we hear Samson praying. If you remember the first time, Samson's prayer was a cry of faith in the midst of discouragement and even in the midst of his self-centeredness. This time it's a prayer of faith from a man who's been through God's refining fire. And so if you can imagine, picture the scene, Samson is in the temple, he's surrounded by 3,000 screaming Philistines. He's standing between the pillars. And notice what he cries out to God in verse 28. O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Now, it's interesting. Samson used three different names for God. And I believe the reason he did that was to emphasize his complete dependence on God. He calls upon God to, number one, remember him, and then, number two, to strengthen him. Man, this is kind of like a new Samson's talking. Here's a man relying on his Lord instead of on himself. And yet, there's still a disturbing self-centeredness to Samson's prayer. The last phrase of that prayer, you you can't miss it. It's about his revenge. It's about his eyes. It's not about God's honor here. It's not even about God's people and their freedom from the Philistines. And so what Samson seeks through this prayer is vengeance. But what he acknowledges is that it can only come from the hand of God. So while this may not be the noblest prayer in all the Bible, 
it's at least totally sincere. And if God answers it, let me tell you, it will cost Samson his life. Now, some people at this point often wonder, did Samson commit suicide when he pushed down the pillars? And I believe the answer is no. Samson does not commit suicide because he leaves the question of his life and his death in the hands of God to answer his prayer. He cries out to God to give him the strength to do so. And God either chooses to answer the prayer or not to. Of course, we know that God chooses to do so. And this brings us to Samson's last stand in the temple of doom. And what we see in the last verses of Judges 16 is God's victory through Samson. And oh, what a victory it was. The Bible tells us the temple area was packed with at least 3,000 men and women. And we can assume there were probably children as well with their parents who were up in the balconies overlooking the whole spectacle. Plus, you had all the lords or the leaders of the Philistines that were also present in this temple in Gaza. And so there in the atmosphere of ridicule and scorn, verse 29 tells us, look at it, Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which support the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. And as Samson held those two pillars, he cries out in verse 30, Let me die with the Philistines. The results of Samson's prayer were both immediately and they were spectacular. In a final display of God's awesome power, Samson, you could say, literally brings down the house. Verse 30 says, Samson pushed with all his might and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. And in that moment, 3,000 Philistines lay dead in the midst of the rubble along with the body of Samson. Now, in some ways, in fact, in many ways, the very last part of verse 30 is a sad commentary on the life of Samson. You can almost call it the epitaph of Samson. And it simply reads this. Notice it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. This verse is a simple reminder of the tragic way in which Samson traded his God-given potential for the pursuit of pleasure. If only he had followed the Lord with all his heart, just think and consider how much more he could have done. But at the same time, listen, it is a verse that is full of God's grace in his life. Samson's death was not a defeat. It was a victory for God and for God's glory. Samson, we could say this ultimate failure, died as a martyr, and he ended up still in God's hall of faith. Unbelievable. It's amazing. Now, do you want to know who the real hero in this story is? See, we read this story in Judges, and we think Samson's the hero. Oh, he's a hero with many flaws. Let me tell you, the real hero isn't Samson. When you read the story of Samson, understand the real hero in this story is God Almighty. The life of Samson is simply a lesson in the grace of God. This is a story about how a man, blinded, 
and humiliated by his own stupidity, hit rock bottom, looked up, turned around, and discovered God was right there waiting for him. Listen, Samson's not the hero. There's nothing really heroic about his life. All he did was turn around and find the grace of God. God's the hero. He was there all along, fulfilling his purposes through Samson. And even doing so in spite of Samson's failures. What a story we have about the grace of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I like this story. I love the story of Samson because it gives hope for me. And hopefully it gives some hope to you. People like you and me who have blown it in life, who have failed, who have fallen in our sin. And some of us really need this story even today. Because we've gone pretty far down the road in our own sinfulness. And some of us are trying to survive even now under the incredible load of guilt and shame. Let me share with you one of the most important lessons from Samson's life here. Your restoration, listen to me, your restoration, my restoration with God does not depend on your performance. Just consider that for a moment with me. Your restoration with God does not depend on your performance. You say, how do you know that, Bruce? Because Samson didn't perform anything when he was a slave in prison. And yet, Satan tempts us to believe that I must earn God's favor. That I have to achieve something before I am loved by God and before I'm used by God and forgiven by Him. But Samson came back to God while he was still blind and bound in chains. And in his distress, he called on the Lord and the Lord met his need of forgiveness. Samson didn't do anything except turn to God and turn to his grace. So many of us think we've got to kind of, quote, clean up our act before God will forgive us and restore us. And God says, listen, you don't understand what this is all about. This is about grace. You're the one who messed things up in the first place. And if you'll just turn from your sin, you'll find I'm right here waiting for you with my forgiveness. And you sometimes think to yourself, and are you, do you say in your mind, man, God won't take me with dirty hands. God's not going to take me back with my past. Listen, that's the only way God will take you back. Either you come to God like you are, or you don't come at all. And when you come to God, let me tell you, in that moment, you will find He's been there waiting for you all the time. He's there waiting and ready to offer you His grace and His forgiveness. You see, the life of Samson teaches us that by God's grace, failure, my failure, your failure, if properly dealt with, can be a giant step forward in our spiritual journey, in our spiritual growth. We have a God who restores failures. Like Samson, the hair can grow again. Does God bring our eyes back? No, not necessarily. The consequences are still there, but we can still be restored. That's the glorious lesson of Samson's life. So how do we deal with our failure? How do we deal with it? Well, let me end with four life lessons from 
Samson here on how to deal with failure. They're simple and yet they're powerful if we will put them into practice. Number one is admit your failure. Admit your failure. Listen, when you sin and you fall and you fail, see yourself for what you are. You're not a spiritual superstar. There are no perfect Christians. And so when you sin and fail, simply admit it to yourself, admit it to God Almighty, and when you admit it, you're basically agreeing with God that what I have done is sin. It's wrong. It goes against what God has said. Number two is then accept God's forgiveness. Listen, 1 John 1, 9 is not just a verse to be memorized. Listen, it's a truth to be lived out in our lives. And so seek God's forgiveness for your sins. Embrace the benefits of Christ's death on the cross. Because it's, it's because of Jesus' death on the cross and His payment for the penalty of our sin that we can now go to God and claim the promise of 1 John 1, 9. We can seek His forgiveness and God will forgive us because the penalty of our sins has already been paid for. So admit your failure, accept God's forgiveness, and number three, be patient. Be patient with God's restoration. Remember, it takes time. Samson's hair didn't grow back overnight. God wants to build habits in your life that will enable you to become a godly Christian over the long haul. And so when we sin and we fall, we admit it, we accept God's forgiveness, but remember, the restoration process is just that. It's a process. And don't expect to be placed back to your original usefulness overnight. In fact, you may never go back to your original usefulness, but that doesn't mean God still can't use you. It doesn't mean that God can't take your life and everything about you and use it for His glory and His honor. Which brings us to our last life lesson. Trust God to use you again for His glory. Ask God to show you how even the scars left by your sin can become instruments to display His glory. Remember, God used Samson's blindness to achieve a great victory. Listen, with God's grace, failure doesn't have to be final. So trust God to use you again for His glory. Let's bow our heads. And as we come to our response time here in the service, let me ask you, as you think about the life of Samson, where are you in your own relationship with the Lord? How is your relationship with God going right now? Like Samson, are you pursuing what you don't need? Are you pursuing the lust of the eyes and the flesh? Are you toying with temptation or... Or maybe you've already fallen in sin and, man, you're living at rock bottom right now. Listen, if that's the case in your life, let me encourage you to do what Samson did. Turn to God for His grace and forgiveness. God stands ready right there waiting for you. Run to Him. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to perform. It's not about you achieving it's about you turning and repenting of your sin and claiming the forgiveness of God. Why don't you use this time to respond to God's grace? Wherever you may be, 
Listen, do business with God. Take care of it right now. This is your opportunity as the praise team sings. Jesus, all your fears.